This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW. Fair you get enough. a better version of this podcast at 2 p.m. But, <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, we'll come back. Equity Mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say, you cannot be serious. You've landed on another episode of Equity Mates. Well, you better brace yourselves because we're about to serve you some aces in the world of investing. Whether you're still hitting balls against the garage door or you're volleying in, volleying in the investment grand slams, we're here to make sure your financial game is nothing short of legendary. As always, I'm here with my equity buddy, Ren. And Ren, who am I? Uh, you're John McEnroe. <laughs> I swear you have my job. <laughs> Sasha, we need to change. I'm gonna look. I'm actually surprised you thought of that one. I didn't. I don't think of any of these. Oh, what this you is, asked Chat JPT. This is producer Sasha slash oh. slash audience. Sasha, there you go. I didn't know you're such a tennis fan. <laughs> oh, how can you not know John McEnroe? Did I uh, did Bryce know John McEnroe? Yeah, bro. Everyone knows John McEnroe. <laughs> I'm disappointed though. I thought you would commit more to the You, you cannot be serious. Yeah, you have to put more like emphasis behind um, it. Well, <laughs> Try and stump me because you haven't yet. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm going to change the title of the doc and location, and then we'll I, look, and then we'll see what hand happens. Hand on heart, I promise you, I've never looked. Okay. I can see Ren's screen, and he's not we, looking at it. Not now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard to go. Have, uh, anyway, let's get into the episode because this is a long one. It's a cracker. We're joined by a fellow podcaster, Glenn James from My Millennial Money. Yep. Uh, we're talking all things investing for kids because there is nothing the world needed more than three uh, childless men talking about children. Yes. But, Ren, it is a question that we get asked almost every single week. How can I invest for my kids? What's What are the best structures to invest for my kids? What are the best platforms to invest for my kids? Love to see it and hear it, to, that everyone, those with kids, are thinking about starting that uh, journey as, as early as possible. And the reason we have Glenn on is because while he was in Bali by the pool, he spent his holidays researching the ways in which you can invest for kids. Mm, fun holiday. Fun holiday. <laughs> so he's done some episodes on his show around this, but we thought we'd bring him on and have a discussion and go through the ways in which you can invest for kids. If the next hour and a half isn't enough for you, then in the show notes for this episode, we have links to Glenn's podcast, the episodes where he speaks about this. Uh, he also did a Q&A after the first episode. 
Uh, he also wrote a blog post, so we'll include that link. And while you're in the show notes, we also have a link to sign up to our emails. Worth signing up. Some of the best content you'll ever get in your inbox twice a week. So uh, jump on there while you're clicking on links in the show notes. Now, we've got to be clear, whilst we are licensed, while Glenn is licensed, none of us are aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any advice you hear is general advice. Importantly to especially mention, when it comes to investing for kids, there's also tax implications. It's doubly important to stress here. When it comes to tax, we're not professional tax advisors. Speak to an accountant or a tax professional because you know tax is complicated. Everyone's circumstances are different. So this is very general, this chat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, the episode triggered a lot of conversation in the Equitymates office. Um, yes, including for one team member who has been investing for kids. Yes. And Glenn uh, in this episode suggested that maybe there was, he needed to do extra things. Yeah. So the first two ways that we discuss investing for kids is in your own name and then in what is known as an informal trust. So we just before we get into it, we just wanted to make one thing clear. Uh, there are different ways to do both and there are different sort of steps you have to go through and that's a decision for you to make you know speak to a tax professional we'll go through i guess sort of some of the pros and cons at a high level of each um but if you have a kids account with any of these providers and um you're worried that you haven't got your kid their own tax file number um that's that's only a problem if you want to report it as an informal trust. If you want to just keep it as an account that has your kid's name on it, but it's part, it's your asset, it's part of your tax return, you can, you're doing it okay in your own name. So I think that's probably just worth saying because Glenn comes out strong and says 90 to 95% of people are doing it wrong. And it's they're doing it wrong if they wanted to set up an informal trust. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, if that was a bit jargony and a bit confusing, then <laughs> it will make sense in about half an hour when we go through it all. But let's get stuck in. Here's Glenn James from My Millennial Money with Investing for Kids. All right. Well, we're here with Glenn James, the founder and host of the popular finance podcast, My Millennial Money. Glenn, welcome. Hey, how are you? Good. <laughs> I we're think um, we've gone full circle because today... Uh, at the time of recording anyway, 3rd of October, our episode with you went out on your podcast. I know. And it was the longest podcast episode that we've ever put up, I think. Really? Because it was like two hours and 17 minutes or it, something like that. Yeah, it, was it, was long, long. it was a long session. Yeah. Yeah. I really like enjoyed a, it though. It was like a therapy session. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. We got yeah. quite personal. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Covered a lot of ground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Today we're covering a very specific type of ground. Well, yeah, we're not getting personal because we're talking about a topic which none of us have first-hand experience with as three... Well, Glenn, I actually... I'm assuming that you don't have kids. Not that I know of. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, as uh, three podcasters that don't have kids, we're going to do a deep dive on investing for kids. And uh, the reason we got you, Glenn, in is because you've gone deep on this topic. You've released a couple of podcast episodes on your podcast uh, that we'll include in the show notes where you've gone deep uh, on the different ways to do it, pros and cons, all of that. It's a really common question that we get here, which I think is a reflection of where our audience is in their stage of life. And so we wanted to bring the expert in to answer all these questions. And it's good timing because this episode for kids, I believe you've got an announcement, Ren. No, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Bryce is married for a year. His one year wedding anniversary was on Sunday. Yeah. So very exciting. 
That has no relationship no, to me having kids though. No. Okay, so let me ask both of you before we get started, what has your experience been with investing for kids? Like, have you had anyone close in your life do it for their kids? Have you got nieces or nephews yourselves? Where are we in terms of the lay of the land? So probably the most relevant and I guess personal right now is Simon in our office. He had a young girl at Christmas last year, I think, and set up the Vanguard option. I'm not sure the structure or anything, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but he puts in, I think it's 20 bucks a week or something along those lines into whatever their product is. Yep. Outside of that, we get asked the questions a lot and a lot of people sort of just turn to if their app has a, a kid's offer and then try and figure out if they can set something up under their own name. That's as much as I know. Or uh, have experience with. Your life has a few instances of investing for kids. Like you invested as a kid. Yes. So that's one way you can uh, get your kids to start investing. Um, your wife, I think her family invested on behalf of their kids. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's another way of doing it. Mm. I don't have any experience. Yeah. 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 I'm new to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is it. So basically I've worked out there may be six ways that you can invest for your kids. And it doesn't necessarily need to be your kids because a lot of people have nieces and nephews like myself. Mm. You might have godchildren or you might have grandchildren. You might have, I don't know, insert cool children <laughs> name here. Okay, so the six ways that I believe that you can invest for kids. Number one, in your own name. Pretty simple, an investment account, a brokerage account, platform, bank account, whatever, in your own name. Number two, an informal trust. Now, this one we'll spend some time on because this is the main one that most people are doing. And spoiler alert, I believe probably 90, 95% of people are doing it incorrectly. Number three, an investment or education bond. That can be controversial. We can cover that. Number four, this is getting creative in superannuation. So setting up a super account for a child, which I've personally, and I can share a bit of my story around investing for kids after this. That's and interesting. I've never, th yeah, well, that's yeah. an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. And my own view has changed on how I invest for my nieces and nephews and how I will invest for my spawn if that ever arrives that day after doing this deep dive. Uh, number five, a formal trust. So we've all heard of discretionary family trusts or a potentially a special disability trust. And we won't go there for this episode, but that does include also a testamentary trust, okay? Are you familiar with those terms? Not, okay. not testamentary. Sweet, that's fine. And then number six, and this is one that piqued Ren's interest, yeah, I believe, and that is investing in experiences. And we'll just pause there because when I was an early teen, like my parents took us on holidays. Like I came from a working class family on the Central Coast and when I was 13, mum and dad saved up and, you know, where do you go if you're Aussie and you got a bit of cash, you get on that Bogan missile and land in Dempasar. Like we went to <laughs> Bali, right? Like, and that was an experience. And I still have memories from that when I was 13 years old. So a couple of things before we get started, this stuff that we're talking about is primarily for those who are tax residents of Australia. So if you're overseas and all that, well, that's cute. Enjoy the ride. But you know, this is based in Australia. A couple of other things. We won't go too deep around estate planning. I think you said you'll put a link in the show notes, yeah. the yeah. second episode. So I did two, two and a bit hour, 
two one and a bit hour episodes on this topic alone. So, and I covered a fair bit of estate planning stuff in there. So having said all that, I, at the moment, I invest an amount into an investment bond for my niece and my two nephews. There's three investment bonds. And I put, in my world, I'll say superficial amounts of money into that each month. And I, I kickstarted it with some capital. And the view was to, you know, just slowly put that money in there. And when birthdays and Christmas came around, like the kids don't need any like toys or rubbish that they're just going to throw out. And, you know, I'm sick of plastic everywhere. <laughs> so it was just like, I'm not buying you stuff. Uh, so yeah, I, and I've told them, in fact, just recently I was on a holiday in Bali. Gosh, return to Bali. <laughs> it's a it's, bit of a theme. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Invest and, in Jetstar, that's what I'm getting. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I actually, it was the first time that I actually sat down with my niece, Grace, and had my laptop open over breakfast and was chilling. And I showed her the investment account and I said, hey, you know how I don't really buy you Christmas and birthday presents? Well, this is why this money is yours. You can see the name there, Grace. And she was like, oh, wow. And and basically, I basically how, just started how old, sharing. How old is Grace? Uh, 12. So was there, Were there a few years where it really the concept really didn't make sense for them? And they were just like, well, where this was toys? the first time that I actually told her that there's money for her. Okay. Nice. Yeah, um, nice. And the rationale being, and we'll cover it in the investment bond thing, the investment bond is in my name. However, there is a beneficiary on there, uh, Grace. And there is a, a, a note on the file that says if Glennie J dies, she can have this money with the intention that she puts it toward a house deposit or something like that. Yeah. I was literally in true, you know, entrepreneur style. I was in the pool area, poolside in Bali, laptop, researching this. <laughs> Digital nomad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> literally this 12 page document of how to invest in kids. I was working on while I was in Bali and it was interesting, the contrast of me looking at that, but also being on holidays with the kids and having so much fun. After I did all this stuff, I actually sent in a request to the investment bond provider, which I need to call because it hasn't gone through. They've kept taking money out of my account. And I said, Classic. turn off the auto invest, like the automatic monthly debits. I've resolved now, I'm not putting any more money into those investment accounts and I'll just invest in experiences with my nieces and nephews. Nice. So that's how I've kind of come around full circle. Nice. Yeah. So, expect, so expect to hate more barley holidays. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> They're like, we did this last year. Yeah. What's yeah. new? So <laughs> what I want everyone to kind of think of before we get started into these points is the concepts of investing for minors and a minor in the CIS Act is someone under 18 mm -hmm. And they're referred to as those with a legal disability because they're not old enough. Yeah. That's what happened when I read that. Yeah, <laughs> like my yeah. eyes, like legal disability, they're not old enough to make their own choices. So when investing for a minor, the concepts are broadly the same as when we invest in our own name, particularly when it comes to the beneficial owner, and we can get into that. But I will carve out in this discussion there's a heap of information on the ATO website about miners and bank accounts. And like Ren, you might have a bank account. You might put a few grand in there that earns interest each year. Mm. Now, if you do not provide your tax file number to that bank account, they'll withhold the full rate. Yep. And then you do your tax return at the end of the year, get that money back. The only carve out in this episode for uh, investing for miners is 
we are strictly talking investment accounts and platforms, not just bank accounts. Because if you research ATO, minor bank account or child bank account, there are some carve outs and weird stuff that uh, any child over 11 can open a bank account and check with your bank. And there are some rules depending on the kid's age and an interest threshold. And I think it is around the 417 a year because that's mm, the tax-free so th- yeah. threshold for a minor that they will not withhold any money. But if it does earn more interest than the threshold, they'll withhold money. So then you need a tax file number for the child. So that's kind of, there's a carve out in what we're talking about today. We're not talking about literally just opening a bank account yeah. uh, in a child's name. Yeah. All right. Well, with all of that said, let's move to the first way and probably the most common I'm guessing, which is to invest in our own name. Yeah. So this is, this is really easy. And back to the discussion about I'm not investing for my niece and nephews anymore. I am using the tool that they've got as an educational experience. So I'm not adding any more money, but it is more just, I can show them how shares and investments work. So investing in your own name, it is kind of pretty simple. Like you might say, hey, I'm building wealth. And as my children age, when the need comes up for things, I'll just fund that. Or, you know, that saying like healthy parents, healthy kids or strong parents, strong kids. So if you're- I've never heard those. You don't read enough um, you know, parent, parent books. You will, yeah. you will start soon. You'll, you'll hear yeah. a lot. Maybe because I'm a little bit older than you, I'm getting this stuff on my like algorithm. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. There is no tax file number needed for the minor. That's easy. And this is a really good, easy way. I'm just going to build wealth, invest in my own name. Now, what you could do is set up a second little investment app or a platform still in your name but just have it as a notional that's for the child yeah. or that's for the children. There, there are some brokers where you can have like sub accounts within the same broker as well. Like- yes, and we can get to that because that can be in your own name and it can also be setting up for the minor as an yeah, informal yeah. trust. Well, let me, let me give an example of in your own name. So I, with one of the brokers, I set up a uh, sub account for explicitly for speckies because <laughs> i wanted that's to that's a kid's name i wanted to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and wanted by to, broker you mean like sports bet 360 yeah. or something like that uh no it was it was an actual broker and i wanted to just quarantine the returns and the losses i was making from speckies for like a longer term investing portfolio i could very easily just rename uh, that account to my kid's name or to call my rename my kid specky and yeah then that that i know is their investment but i'm still it's still my yeah. assets and i'm still and putting it in my tax the file. income flows onto your tax return exactly. through yeah, your yeah. tax file number and if you were going down that road and your little child called specky <laughs> turned 18 years old and you're like hey specky i've saved up all this money from all these speckies <laughs> here is ten thousand dollars that's a disposal on your tax return. So the capital gains tax flows down to you and your tax return. So if it's in your own name, even if it is a notional account, that money is yours. And it, as you exactly said, you might go, I want a separate account just for, you know, I might have one for long-term boat savings. Cause if you own a boat, you know what I'm talking about? It's like having a child, very expensive. <laughs> 
but it's just a notional tag. Yeah. Okay. And that's really easy because it's flexible. You don't have to set up a tax file number for the miner. You might, what you might do is like build wealth in your own name, but set up a small micro investing app. And I like to say, put superficial amounts of money in there even if it's $10 a month, just for the purpose of education mm. for the child. But I say the word, you might, we're not putting wholesale amounts in the child's name, quote unquote, and not wholesale as in ATO, ASIC, institutional investor, but wholesale in your world. Like, you know, if you're putting $500 a month into an investment account, that's wholesale in your world. Like, yeah, yeah. So you might have a small account on the side in your name, but just for the child to, hey, this is your money and all this stuff. So. Mm. So yeah, the, the advantages are it's flexible and it's low hassle and you can use the money for anything as it comes up. Yeah. And I guess then when the child's old enough, you can be like, here's this money that's in your own name. You do then give them some like decision-making control over it. Like yeah. how would you invest it? And that's right. Like that. But and it the, still all flows into your tax return. Yeah. And yeah. the I guess the consideration around estate planning, if you have a notional account, even if it is in your name, and it's flagged specky, you've got to make sure the estate planning is considered. Because remember, if you were to die, that money for, flows straight into your estate. So there's that consideration as well. This is how I did it. As a, It was in dad's name. Yep. And then when I hit 18, share transfer into yeah, my bro- yeah. into my And so he, what, whatever money you made there, he would have paid the capital gains yeah. tax on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he may have had an informal trust. Which there would have been, uh, and we can get into that. Well, let's, yeah, let's put it in an informal trust and close out in your own name. To my mind right now, it feels like it's a pretty simple way, but you do just have to consider it. It's still your assets and it's your tax. Anything else we need to know about investing in your own name? Yeah, so if there is uh, two people in the relationship, two parents, you may set up that account in a lower um, income owner's name. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. The only other thing is, I think this more investing in your own name is more about we are just building wealth mm. and the kids will be looked after because if we've got money, they won't go without. Yeah. Mm. That's the, the crux of that. Like, build wealth, all good. Like, you hear stories of people wanting to, like, oh, our goal is to buy an investment property per child and, yeah. you know, do all that stuff. That's just build wealth. Mm. Yeah. Build wealth. That's yeah. all you need to do. Yeah. You may just have an offset account in your name and just build cash against your mortgage because at the moment, 6% interest rates, that's a guaranteed return. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's also in that category, but the blog will give you a bit more detail anyway. Nice one. Well, then let's move to the second mm. category, the informal trust. And you teased this earlier by mm. saying you think 90 to 95% of people are doing it wrong. So let's let's start with what it is and then get into how to do it right. Yeah, so an informal trust, like, you know, the the apps that we all have and you can click, I want to have a minor account. Yeah. And it basically just duplicates the account. Some of them, like I think the Vanguard one has it's changed the name of like the Vanguard Growth Fund to Kangaroo or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah. So it makes so, it a bit So kiddie. these days, like, Vanguard has it, Sharesies have it, Rays have it. Um, I'm sure a heap of others have it, um, but they're the ones that come to mind. Like yeah. More and more product issuers are bringing it to market, a well, kid's account. And that's the whole thing. Like the product issuers, it's just a function of, hey, you can invest for kids. It means that they can have more fun on their platform or more trades. Mm. 
Uh, but when I was researching this, I actually emailed the support team of a couple of these product providers and they didn't know actually much about the law and how it's actually supposed to be set up. Right. That's positive. So, <laughs> yeah, but these, these people are like, they're either programmers or developers or just in support team going, oh, how do I find my statement? Like, yeah. good people, but they, they don't know the ins and outs of how an informal trust works. Yep. And a product provider provides the product that's awesome, but it's your responsibility as the user of that product to make sure that it is set up in the right way and that you are disclosing things correctly on your own tax return each year. So before we get into the details of that, st start high level and yep. give us the sort of um, the pros and the cons and how you yeah, think well, about it. And I'll then... even start further high level. Great. If you had an account as an informal trust, and we'll take Bryce, um, if your dad had an account with say Superhero back in the day, and he set one up that said superhero just for Bryce. On the statement, it would have Daddy Lesk's name, <laughs> Papa Lesk. And then in brackets, it would have some type of designation like Bryce Lesk's yeah. account in brackets. Yeah. So it's a designation that yeah. uh, Daddy Lesk is the... So I'm just used to calling him Daddy. I'm sorry. That's fine. Um, <laughs> he is the informal trustee of this money, yeah. right? And then basically what happens is he controls the money, but it's the benefit is for Bryce. Now, when that miner turns 18, the money can be transferred into your own name. And because the beneficial owner hasn't changed, it's still Bryce, there is no capital gains tax. Oh, okay. So there's no, and this is, you know, one thing we need to go back and just high level when we talk about capital gains tax, and I can use a, a property because that's a real example that many Australians understand, right? If you bought a property, an investment property, and then sold it and it grew in value or a parcel of shares, right? That triggers a capital gains tax event because it's been purchased or sold, right? The only reason it triggers a capital gains tax event is because generally when you buy and sell assets, the owner is changing, so you might have heard uh, scenarios where a family home, there could have been some estate planning stuff done and the solicitors have transferred the name into the lower income earner's spouse's name or the non-business owner's spouse's name. And because the beneficial change hasn't really happened, it didn't trigger stamp duty. Have you heard that kind of thing where you can, you can make changes to assets mm. And stamp the stamp duty isn't triggered okay. because the, there's actually no beneficial change in ownership. Yeah. So that's really important to understand. When the child turns 18, when it goes into their account, no capital gains tax. And I'm repeating again because there's no beneficial change in ownership. Okay. So while we're talking about the tax side of things, if you are doing an informal trust, the kid needs a tax file number. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So... We'll walk back a little bit because this is where it starts to unravel pretty fast for a lot of people. In Australia, there are tax rates for minors and they're very punitive. Yeah. Like, it's savage. Yeah. It's like two thirds above 400 and something. So like 67 like yeah, yeah. or something. So yeah. here is, yeah. yeah, so here is the rates, right? From zero to $416, nil tax. Yeah. So in my tax return each year, well, from my family trust, 
my niece and nephews both receive $416 a year tax-free. Yeah. Okay. And they get that money anyway because it goes to them. Between $417 and $1,307, the tax rate 66%. Okay. Over $1,300 a year, $1,307 a year, the tax rate is 45%. So put a Medicare levy on that. That's 47%. Yeah. So what we look at is if you're investing for your child and there's dividend income, interest income, and it's over 1300 a year, we'll just say it's the highest marginal tax rate. Yeah. And people might be wondering what the policy reason for that is because like, what are we just trying to stop kids getting a job at the local middle okay. bar? It's to stop rich parents stashing money in their yeah. kids' names. <laughs> yeah. So gosh, even when I was a child, my parents... Uh, before the trust law was changed because they had a discretionary family trust, they could uh, distribute $18,000. Well, it's 18200 today. We'll just call it eighteen grand to me and my sister each year tax-free. Because that's the adult tax-free yes. threshold. Yeah. And that was for kids that was, as well. Yeah. yeah so yeah. basically they've changed it all and it's called unearned income. Now, accepted income is income that's from a job, from a testamentary trust, damages from injury, I want everyone to park on this number here. If you had $5,000 invested for a minor or anyone earning 6% per year, that's $300. Okay, so that is under the $400 tax-free. $10,000 earning 6% is $300, right? So to get over this $1,300, the highest marginal tax rate, like you have to have some significant wealth to generate that type Mm, of income right so that's just a bit of a a sidebar so are those rates applied if there's a capital gains event like if you're transferring to in scenario one where you're investing for yourself yes uh under your own name and then i'm transferring to renters yep um that's going to be a capital gain for you for me yes at that rate no 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 because you're the adult you're the adult yeah yeah. your adult right yeah yeah yeah. because you're just disposing an asset yeah who has it is after the fact yeah Yeah. but what i want to get to is with an informal trust the reason i think 90 percent or more 95 percent of people and this is anecdotal from reading stuff online People are not setting up properly. They're not setting up a TFN yeah, for the minor. For the yeah. yeah. Because you have to think about it. If we go back to beneficial change of ownership and the beneficial owner, if you ran, oh, sorry, Alec had $100,000 and you had it on trust for Ren, right? And that generated six grand a year in income. If Ren is the beneficial owner of that money, that six grand a year of income whose tax file or whose return should it go on well i assume the answer is the beneficial owner yes yes but what's happening out there in the wild our parents are setting up these sub accounts as an informal trust not setting up a tfm for the child and just putting the income from the kid's investment on their own tax return so if so I'm getting the income for it. Who's really the beneficial owner? You. So are they? Are they then just arguing that they're like it? it they're just investing in their own name, like from a tax point yeah. of view, and the ATO are fine with that? Or well, I think it's actually murky, and 
yeah, it could just look like they're investing in their own name. Yeah. And if they move it to the child after age 18 and not disclosing it and not paying CGT, well, it's probably not correct because they need to because they're actually disposing the asset and moving it to the child. So really the choice is in between these first two options, yeah. you invest in your own name and then you just pay your marginal tax rate, which is likely lower than the kid's marginal tax rate. Yes. But when you then transfer the assets, there's a capital gains yes. implication. Yes. Or you do the informal trust route. Uh, you pay a higher marginal tax rate on the, the investment returns, but there's no capital gains. When if you transfer, you transfer to the, the minor. So, so what's, I've the better, resolved, what's the better option? Well, here's a question, right? <laughs> Most Aussies might end up on a 35%, you know, mid 30s tax rate right so if you had some family wealth so parents and a minor would you want to pay income at 47 percent for the minor's income if it's a fair chunk of money or your tax rate at 30-ish percent or your own tax rate yeah yeah so i've kind of hypothesized that if you've got an informal trust, you'd probably want to be on the highest marginal tax rate. Mm. I guess that there would be tipping points in all of this though. Oh, absolutely. Um, like what you're expected saving on the capital gains yeah, is the, and the stuff seat, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's fine to like do what you want, but you've just got to make sure you do it right. Now, mm. one strategy could be if you are investing in the miner's name, quote unquote, as an informal trust, have like low yield investments or yeah. literally put the money in some specky yeah, just that stocks. isn't yeah. actually <laughs> producing any yeah. income at all. Yeah. yeah, Sure. But you may need to still do a tax return for the minor each year to get franking credits and foreign tax offsets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all I want to say is with having an informal trust, you've got to set up miners tax file number make sure the miners if and this is where the product providers couldn't tell me one of them said yeah you can put a miners tax file number in on the app and i'm like no you can't i'm looking at it and they wrote back oh yeah you're right sorry you can't like (laughs) (laughs) so you've got to really make sure that the miners tax file number is on the platform or the brokerage account or the app and as well if there is some auto fees to ato there could be data matching issues as well. So it's just going to be cleaner if your TFN's on yours, the minus TFN's on theirs, and then you do your returns each year. Yeah. Um, another thing is... Uh, so some disadvantages of that is, you know, the tax return for the miner each year. And a lot of us, when we get started investing for miners, it's going to be superficial amounts mm. over the year, Right. So, do we want to set up a tax file number and do a tax return for the minor each year? I don't know. The one big thing that I need to dispel as a, a don't do, naughty, naughty, is if you had a minor account invested in shares or whatnot as an informal trust. So, uh, Papa uh, Lesk, as trustee for Bryce Lesk, this is his investment account. Oh, Bryce needs school shoes. I take the money from the investment account. Oh, Bryce's school fees take the money from the investment account. 
those funds are not expenses for Bryce. They're the adult expenses. So you can't take money out of the investment account and spend on the kid because they're an expense of the parent. Yeah. So when you actually look at this stuff, I honestly think it's less enticing yeah. to do a, a, um, an informal trust. trust. Yeah. 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 And that's why I'm just like, I won't do it when I have kids. I'm not doing it. Yeah. It feels, I mean, like everyone make your own decisions and do your own research, but for me, the changing the name of my Specky account to my kid's name, but doing it all in my own tax environment feels like the simplest. Yeah, It's just easier. Yeah. And yeah. like, who knows? Like I told my niece and nephews, well, I've told Grace, um, I said, look, this money is for you. But also if you're a rat bag and are doing a hard time when I'm you're 24, mm. I'm taking your name off it and it's mine. And I'm like, going to Bali again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back here without you. So there are a few other considerations, but we'll, um, they're all included in the blog post, which we'll put a link to in, in the show notes. So that's the first two. Um, Glenn, let's move to the third, uh, which is the investment bond, uh, which includes education bonds. We have uh, had a couple of questions in specifically around education bonds from the community. So I think this is one of uh, one of interest. Well, yeah, I also think given that that's this is the choice that you made for Grace. Mm. Grace is getting a good run on this show. Shout she out is. to Grace. Yeah, um, what up, Grace? Uh, She's a huge fan of you guys. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, um, so I guess... Tell us about the investment bond, education bond, and why that was the decision you made, when, I guess, when Grace was born or yep. early in her life. Yeah. Okay, the reason I chose an investment bond for my niece and nephews was purely the estate planning. Like, that was it. Well, and there were some other secondary things, but have you seen online, like, you get some investment and money purists where they're just so disgusted with investment bonds. Like, do you know the concept, how they work? Let's yeah, take well, a step back. Because yeah, like what I, is it? Yeah, like I think a lot of people when they hear investment bonds think, you know, like corporate bonds or like government bonds. Yes. So it's, it's not that. No. So no. let's take it back. And I'm actually going to draw it for you guys here on my right. bit of paper. Well, if, you, if you're watching on, oh, yeah. you're watching on YouTube. Do you guys even do YouTube? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. We stopped for a while, but we're getting back into it. Fancy. If you're just listening to the podcast, we'll narrate the drawing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Forget the name investment bond for now and just think insurance bond because that's what they are. They're an insurance bond and they were the most horrendous products in the world. So back in the day, they had these bonds, right? And they were called an insurance bond. And basically the individual would pay money into this insurance bond. And within this structure, there was a savings account. And within this structure there was a life insurance policy, okay? And what would happen as you're younger, life insurance is cheap, right? Because there's less chance to die. You would put money in this savings account, it'd be getting like 2% or some crap amount and that would just keep building. And each year, the life insurance premium would be paid out of the internal savings account, right? And then this whole tax structure here is taxed at the company tax rate of 30%. Now, there are some carve-outs with death cover and tax in Australia, so forget that for now. But an insurance bond is taxed at 30%, the company tax rate. And what happens is, as you got older, the life insurance premium would also increase, but because you had heaps of cash building up, you could still pay the same amount each month because the insurance would continue to get funded. So an investment bond 
is basically the same structure and you put money in this account, but instead of there being a savings account and a life insurance policy, you've got your investment options. So the technology has allowed um, this tax structure being an insurance bond to have investments. Now, the thing is the investments are taxed at the corporate tax rate at 30%. And because it's its own policy, it's an insurance policy, that does not sit on your tax return. And each year, the bond is taxed internally at 30% company tax rate. And are you doing a tax return for the bond or that's no, all sorted? No, it's all internally. Insurance? Yeah. yeah. Nice, yeah. So the thing is, so you know how each year, for example, you get an ETF tax report yep. and it'll tell you the flow through of like CGT and all this, then you put those amounts on your tax return and all the categories, right? And it flows through to you, capital gains tax, all that. With the investment bonds or insurance bond to be technical, but we'll say investment bonds, each year profit 30%. It's like if you had company, like if Equity Mates Proprietary Limited had an investment that was growing, any income, 30% tax. Capital gains tax, can't get any benefits, 30% tax. So you think an investment bond internally taxed each year. So I don't put it on my tax return, the tax is taken care of. It is sometimes less than 30% because they can add back franking credits and all that stuff. And a lot of them say they're around 22 to 25%. Like my one just has the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund in it. Um, there's a heap of different options. You can build your own portfolio. I was going to ask that. Yeah. So yeah. you can direct the investments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I just wanted a multi-fund. Yeah. 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 Shut up and take my money type vibe. Yeah. Um, and so you think like in your own name, if you had Vanguard diversified high growth fund and it was growing, like you're going to pay less tax year on year because the CGT can fall through to you on your individual name. But if it was in a company structure, you'd have less money year on year because it's getting taxed more and the money isn't around long enough to be invested because it's getting taxed. Does that make sense? You just think year on year, company tax rate. Yeah. After holding the bond for 10 years, any money you take out of it is tax free. So just there, why 10 years? I don't know. I think it's just the notional That's thing that they they did to... So I, I don't know the answer. So if yeah. you pulled it out after five years, what would it be taxed at? Your own tax rates as income, I think. Okay. Well, let's Rice, put, let's put it, get a get professional sure advice, there's a but formula. there is tax. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and the difference is with the education bond, exactly the same thing. Mm. But if you pull money out to invest or to pay for education for the child or grandchild, yeah, you don't pay tax on that. So then it's it's less about the time and it's more about the purpose. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, would I personally? invest my money in an insurance bond i actually do have one <laughs> i just remembered sorry but i i don't really put that much money in there it was just the reason i did it right was an overflow was an extra superannuation account okay because i was capping out my super each year yeah and i'm like hey i can just have my investment bond as a little extra it is something i wonder about because it's it's not something i've been super familiar with but i've heard more and more about it maybe over the last year and it's we're, we're talking about this in the context of investing for kids yes but if i'm thinking like as a long-term investor mm. and i can direct the investments and after 10 years i can pull it out and not pay any tax other than what's already paid over the the years why wouldn't i just set them up for myself 
Uh, you can, but I think you'll find the investment options can be restrictive. Okay. And it's kind of, I just see mine as a secondary super. Yeah. Like I actually can't touch it. You know, I don't have Vanguard diversified high growth in any other investments in my name. Okay. Like I just don't use it only in the bond because it was a one-stop shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, when I sent the form into my provider, say stop putting money in the kid's account each month, this was freaking three months ago, still coming out. I was going to turn mine off as well. But back to the the sole reason why this could be an appropriate option for miners is one, it's off your tax return. It's out of sight, it's out of mind. Yeah. And, and this is the purists, hello, I love you, but also here's some practical thinking. The purists will say that having an ETF in your own name will be better off in terms of tax for long-term, right? You're probably right. However, if it is in your own name and you are tempted to get your dirty mitts on it to buy a new lounge, hmm. all the tax saving in the world isn't going to yeah, stop the, that happening. The psychology of it all. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So that's why for me, having it in out of sight, out of mind, number one, could be an option for those parents for kids. Number two... Um, for people like me who are investing on behalf of other kids, it's a way that I've got some estate planning mechanisms. So if I die, that money is still allocated to the kids. Mm. And that's why you can't actually just say, I, you should invest in this, it'll get you the highest return after tax. That's a fool's game because you have to look at your estate planning considerations and your ownership structure. So I, I don't buy into this thing that no one should use investment bonds. Every product has a place and a time. But I will say one thing, the pros and cons of all these options that we're doing right, the pendulum between pros and cons, I believe swings the most with investment bonds. Mm. So the cons will swing really wide. Okay. The pros will also swing really wide. Yeah. Where So that's kind of where I think investment bonds land. You talk to anyone who works at an investment bond place, they're the best things in the world, obviously. Duh. Do people still say duh? Uh, <laughs> but like, I don't put wholesale wealth in them for myself or my um, kids. Yeah. To close out your question, Ren, what hap why the 10 years and what happens when you withdraw uh, before? So if you withdraw... Within eight years, 100% of the earnings on the investment bond are included in your assessable income. Okay. And there's a 30% tax offset. Within not, with it, withdrawals in the ninth year, it's two-thirds of the earnings are included. Uh, withdrawal in the 10th year, a third of the earnings on the investment bond are included. And then after the 10th year is where you get all returns or earnings are invest, uh, on the investment bond are tax-free. I mean, they are a, a really good tool for ultra high net worth, high net mm. worth. That's, what, that's kind of what we figured out when we spoke yeah, about yeah, it. It's yeah. like, if, if you're in that high tax bracket. Yeah, and that's it. Like I'm in the highest tax years. bracket. No. So, yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I had it as a second superannuation account. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. And because, hi, I'm Glenn, I'm a recovering spender. It <laughs> has to be out of sight, out of mind for me. Yeah. But how do you actually buy them? Uh, you can go direct. Um, like, is it? Like, there are like certain providers. Where? Aren't yeah. There? So the one I use is Gen Life. 
Well, you've you haven't exactly given them a glowing review this episode. <laughs> no, no, I've given them a balanced review. <laughs> I mean, their friggin' admin team can pull their. So just to be spe- more specific yeah. here, I guess there's no like there's no sort of superhero or broker equivalent where there's a one stop shot nah. you can kind of fight. You, you need to go yeah. get Google out and. And they yeah. all are paper-based forms by the sound of oh, it? Oh, no, they're changing now. Okay, I yeah. was going to say. But you've got to remember, like, these insurance bonds, they've been around since the dawn yeah, of time. Yeah. yeah. And so these are just legacy companies that are, in, like, are becoming more efficient with technology yeah. and being able to strip out the crappy savings, strip out the life insurance and just put an investment inside the vehicle. Yeah. I think there is very low legislative risk that anything would change with these things because they've been around forever and the government are getting their tax year on year. So yeah, I, I, and this goes back to like the pendulum with these things, it will swing the most for good mm-hmm. and bad. But for those who are looking for their niece or nephews or grandchildren, I used to set a heap of these up for my clients that were retirees or transitioning into retirement. Like, yeah, what do you want to do? Yeah, we'll throw 20 grand in each bond for the kids, done. Because you still own it, it's still yours. But if the kids play up, you can just remove their name and it's yours. Nice. Yeah. Hang that. Hold that over your kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Glenn, let's take a quick break. And then on the other side, we're going to talk about super, which uh, I'm interested in, formal trust, and then finally experiences. Welcome back to Equity Mates. We're talking to Glenn James, the host of My Millennial Money, the founder of the uh, financial podcast Empire. Well, it's not. It's not just financial, is it? There no, we do career. We do career. career well, my millennial kind of career. There was a car Medical? podcast, wasn't there, for a little bit? Oh, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Medical. That was fun. That yeah. So Dev has the my millennial money professional. Professional. Just for professional people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today uh, we are talking about investing for kids. Glenn, you've done a lot of work on this. Uh, there's a blog post and a couple of your podcast episodes in our show notes. If people want to go deeper, we've covered so far investing in your own name. Uh, informal trusts and uh, investment and education bonds. Just got to remember what we've covered. Uh, the next one is superannuation. And you said when we were setting this up at the start, opening a superannuation account for your kid, which is something that I've never heard anyone say before or anyone talk about before. So I'm interested to hear that. Talk to us about super for kids. You know, at the start, how I talked about investing in your own name. Okay. If I'm going to invest for my own kids, right? Picture this. I'll be in my 40s if I spawn, right? Fact of life, I'm 39 now, right? The preservation age for superannuation is age oh, we 60. Always get this wrong yeah. get in trouble. 60, 60 if you 60. have retired from and the workforce. 65. If you complete, yeah, uh, yeah. 65 regardless. Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. So if I had a child when I was 45, I could set up a second super account in my name or even my same super, but I'll do actually a second one, mm. set up another super account in the name of Glenn James, beneficiary, 100% to the child, investment option, high growth, and just pump that. Now, I'll have to do that with my non-concessional uh, contributions out of the $110,000 a year cap. Yeah. But the, that money is growing in the most tax-efficient vehicle on the Australian mainland, including Tassie, I guess. And then... At age 60, the kids are 20 yeah, anyway. Yeah, the, Let's withdraw timing. that yeah. Yeah, yeah. tax-free, baby. Yeah. Like, what's the problem here? And the estate planning is taken care of. Tick. Yeah. 
the money that goes to the kids because you put money in in post-tax dollars, they're not going to get taxed on that if you die. So it's for those parents who are late 30s, early 40s, and you want to invest in your own name, can you set up a separate super account? Dedicated. Now, you can't change your mind, get the money out before, but hey, we all talk about, oh, we want the long-term investment and... How many people set up a long-term investment and three years later withdraw it? Anyway, don't answer that. I guess um, I guess the key thing is because you will, you will be paying like double sets of fees there, but most fees are a percentage, so it, you still come yeah, like ahead. sure smaller yeah. amounts, but the tax saving. Uh, yeah, and I was just going to say, make sure anyway. you turn off the life insurance. And yeah, yeah, the other you don't have any of that. All of that stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's an interesting concept and one that I haven't heard anyone really speak about. Yeah, I guess I guess the challenge is so Bryce is thirty. One, 32, 32. I'll take 31. You are 32. Yeah. <laughs> so if you were going to do that for the kid that you have in the next 12 months, then, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. you heard it here first, people. <laughs> then they will be getting it when they're the, yeah, minimum 30. 32 or 30. Yeah, yeah, your 30. age now. Yeah. yeah. If so, the government doesn't change anything in the next yeah, 32 yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, I, don't yeah. think, I, I think they're going to keep their mitts off it for a long you time. You reckon? Yeah. I would, Particularly I preservation would, ages. I would bet you... My, well, I'm not going to bet my super, <laughs> but like they'll raise the price. They'll raise surely. it. Surely. Yeah, maybe. I, I reckon know. by the time we retire, it'll be... It's 65 now. Caveat, we always get this wrong. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they'll change it. People get confused, and this is a, an, a tangent. People get confused with like eligibility to, for age pension and superannuation preservation age. Mm. Age 67 in Australia is not retirement age. That's the age that you can qualify for age pension pension Pension. yeah the retirement age in australia do you know what it actually is 55 do you know what it is is that not right well the retirement age in australia is whenever you want but the question is how are you going to fund it yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. like so that's the yeah yeah yeah. you what you're saying is if you retire at 40 yeah retire at 40 where are you going to get money can't get it from super it's got to be somewhere else Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah the the key numbers super age 60 if you stop working age 65 regardless and age 67 for age pension benefits. Mm. So I don't think, and I haven't heard any chatter of superannuation release ages being increased. Mm. Like we hear chatter about taking age pension to 70. Not sure, I don't know if we'd get up, but who knows? Well, so- well here's something I've been thinking about for the day I do have kids, not anytime really? soon, but like uh, when you would actually hand over the money to your kids. Mm. I've got thoughts on this. Because I reckon handing it over at like, oh, you're 18, here's what I've been nah. saving. It's way too early. No, 25 too early. I reckon now is when I'd be like, here's 30 years of Yeah, but I also think there's investment. nothing, like it's the parents' money, whatever, but like there's nothing more coercively controlling than parents putting all these strings on I wouldn't money tell them. That's the other until thing. Until they're yeah. like forty, and it's like you know, there's no gotta, not strings on. You money. gotta like work in the job, or you know, do do what do what I want you to do, live the life that I want you to do. And there's this big no, bag of that, money that's hanging a, over your head. Yeah, but I, again, I wouldn't be hanging a bag of money over my. Head. I, I would genuinely not tell them that it exists. There's Fair. nothing yeah. more needed in this world than three white single males talking about parenting. I know. <laughs> yes, let's move but on. I will say, you know what I've done in my will? I've basically um, set my estate plan and will up that if I check out, each kid gets a couple hundred grand, right? However, after age 30, hmm. if they're not on drugs, they're not in jail, 
and all that stuff. Yeah. That's good. Because when we think about, like we've just talked about retirement age, right? At like 65, 67, whatever that is, right? From 65 to 75 in this day and age, it's no longer old. It's called mm. the lifestyle years. Mm. So everything's moved 10 years. And as to your point, Bryce, like there are still 30 year olds living at home. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I think I think my inve- my investment bonds for the kids, say age 25 is my intention that they get that. But the will definitely is age 30. Mm. Mm. I don't have a will. I probably should have. Yeah, a will. that's a whole yeah, other conversation. Let's keep. Moving. Well, you know, let's say if there's a will, there's a relative. Um, so, so let's just um, yeah. So superannuation. Super. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there is no mention in superannuation law that there is a minimum age requirement um, for a retirement savings account to be opened. Now, superannuation funds are effectively products, and there's effectively a trustee. That's kind of how super works. Superannuation doesn't form part of your estate. So if you die, it's not dealt with in the will. However, it is at the discretion of a product provider to offer accounts for minors. I know at at the time of recording, Australian Retirement Trust do a minor account. But what you'll have to do is you'll have to get this. I'm actually thinking about actually doing this. I know I didn't, I don't want to stop spending money on my kids or my sister's kids. But I'm actually just as an experiment over the next 30 years, I'm tempted to get Lauren to set up the kids a tax file number and then put 10 grand each into a super account for each kid just to seed it and then just see what happens. So like when they're like 24, 25, everyone's like, how much you got in? They're like, 55, baby. <laughs> like, so that is a way that you can build wealth for the kids, mm. but you just need to know like they can't touch it. Touching for yeah, ages. I think like yeah. when parents are thinking about how they want to help their kid, it's not that they want to help their kid have a more comfortable retirement. Yeah, it's like yeah. they want to help their kid uh, buy a house yes. or like cover their uni so they don't have to pay off hex. However, something. I do like this strategy uh, from an estate planning purpose. Uh, and potentially if there are higher net worth uh, families or individuals. Mm. So like when you end up telling everyone you won lotto, like your $100 million ran, when you have kids, yeah, use the non-concessional cap, put 300 grand in each kid's super account, mm. done. Another few years, just pump that well, up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna- to coercively control them and say this money's here for when you're 40 but you have to call me once a week you have to come around to the house once a month and have dinner with me like that's how i'm going to keep my kids in my life (laughs) but yeah so you've just got to that one is a use caution um you know if you're if you're not established in your own financial life it's that kind of you know when the plane's going down and everything's on fire put your own mask on first before you worry about kids yeah um i don't think investing for kids is appropriate if you've still got consumer debt i don't Mm, think it's appropriate mm. if you're still trying to get an emergency fund together like you need to get to a base camp in your own life however if you do want to do the superficial amounts just to educate them awesome yeah that wholesale investing you know it it does like this has been my sort of takeaway from the conversation it it does feel like it's it's a privileged conversation to have. Like it's, totally. uh, it's a lot of this, you know, like talking about investment bonds, they're a great strategy for people, high net wealth people mm. setting up a super fund for your kids. It's a great strategy for people who are high net wealth. So mm. 
name of the game is to become a high net wealth, I guess. Giddy up, baby. So yeah, there's yeah. I think that's probably not an option that people should run to first, um, unless you've got spare money and you want to have a bit of fun and do a, a social experiment like what, I want to do. <laughs> what would be interesting is if you could set up a super fund for your kid and then start putting money in for the first home super saver scheme from when they were young. I, I'll take this on notice, but in my mind, I thought there had to be concessional contributions and you can only do non-concessional for a minor because okay. they won't be working. Because the first home super saver scheme is basically you put money in pre-tax. Yeah. You take money out, get a tax rebate, and you can basically save up to six or so grand. So I would have to research yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. All right, bad idea. Let's move this on. This is the problem <laughs> when you're in our world. Like, I know enough to be dangerous about everything, and then you get the question like that, and you're like, oh, I don't know off the top of my head. No, I think, I think, like, for me, like, the, the financial planning conversation, the structuring and all of that is, like, a conversation that, like, I'm just not nearly well-educated enough on. Like, the... Getting cash, finding good investment opportunities, that's a conversation that is is much more in my wheelhouse. And so when it comes to all this stuff, and we're about to talk about formal trusts, and mm. again, it's going to be something that it's like, this is just another world and another language. And that's why you have to really be careful with anything online, whether it's you know medical advice, whether it is Financial. vaccine advice, whether it is you know referendum advice. I don't know. Like You've got to really understand that if someone jumps on and he's like, don't use investment bonds because the tax rate is and we've crunched these numbers and all that. It's like, shut up. What if this person needs it for their niece or nephew? What if this person has a unique estate planning issue? What if this person has a blended family and we actually need to protect some wealth? Like there are too many considerations. And, you know, as a former financial advisor, you'd spend an hour with a client with a whiteboard, just getting the whole picture, all the goals and sometimes categorically, a solution would be perfect. That wouldn't be perfect for other people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And you might, I've taken the view that sure, I might not get the most tax efficient vibe having some little investment bonds for the kids, but for all the reasons that I want, it works. It works. Yeah. And I'm happy to lay in the bed I make for myself. Yeah. 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 Well, let's move, Glenn, to the fifth, um, which is formal trust. We've spoken about informal. So, yeah. firstly, how do these differ? And then what are the pros and cons? Yeah. So, they don't differ in terms of the concept. Okay. Um, have you guys got discretionary family trusts yeah. that own yeah. the shares yeah. in equity, mates? Yeah. 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 So, it'd be like exactly that. You set up a, dis a discretionary family trust. You'd likely have a corporate trustee. You'd likely have a trustee that is formally drafted that would set out the benefits or the purpose rather of what this trust is for. And on the schedule, it would have primary beneficiary, Johnny Jr., Mary Jr. And basically, so like, do you guys invest in your trusts? No. Okay. No. So yeah. I don't hold any investments in my own name. To hide it from the tax authority? No, you can't hide anything. Um, <laughs> just for asset protection, best practice. Like my trust is my wealth creation vehicle for life. And sure, I've got some properties in my own name, but they've got a bit of mortgage against some of them. So there's some, you know, protection there anyway. And, you know, property is another thing. You can be useful to have that on your own ITR. But the formal trust is you're literally setting up a company. So like my 
share investing account is owned by the trust. When I said I don't have any investments, I know the investment bonds, they're not in my name. They don't sit on my estate. They're like separate. Superannuation is separate. So the only real things I own is one car and the clothes on my back. So in that instance, like you're the trustee and the beneficiary. So corporate trustee means there's a company that is the trustee of my trust. But you're the only shareholder in that company? Yes. Yeah, okay. And my discretionary family trust, it basically says primary beneficiary, Glenn James, secondary beneficiary, family members, niece and nephews, whatever. And the nature of a discretionary family trust, that wealth is invested and is held for the benefit of Glenn. So that I'm the beneficial owner. Now, in Australia, a formal trust, a formal discretionary family trust, you have to distribute the profit each year mm. to the beneficiary. So that means then if I've got a formal trust and the beneficiary is child one, at the end of the year, the money flows through to child one and that money has to fall on the beneficiary's tax file number. Capital gains tax can flow through the trust as well to the beneficiary. So in that light, this is why you've got to think the informal trust, why are parents claiming the income on their own ITR, where if it was a formal trust, the income would be claimed on the beneficiary's ITR. ITR for, for people is income tax return. Yes. Just, just FYI. So then what I'm getting from this is that a lot of the considerations we had with the informal trust are here again. You're paying a higher marginal... The kid is paying a higher marginal tax, yes. right? Yeah, but then it's unearned income. Yeah. But, but then it would be the same... Like when you transferred the assets from the trust to the kid, there would be no capital gains? There'd be no beneficial change of ownership, so okay. no capital gains. Yeah. But in theory, you shouldn't need to ever transfer it because it's a formal trust set up for the kid's benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So does you the might kid change just the trustee. become the trustee? Yeah, they could point? be a director yeah. of a trustee company or become a trustee, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I mean that one there is also for significant wealth. Yeah. So when, like, when we talk about like trust fund kids, it's quite an American term, but That's that this is. is what we're talking about. But I guess the difference, because in America, like when you talk about trust funds, it's often they get no money until that certain age. Yeah, like whereas investing in, age almost. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in Australia, the trust can't retain the assets, can it? They have to pay them out. Uh, if they do, it will just get taxed at punitive rates. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. which I don't have off the top of my head. It could be up to 60% if it's not distributed. Yeah. I definitely know it's it's obviously going to be at least the highest marginal tax rate at 47%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you have anything else on formal trusts or otherwise let's get to experiences? No, I mean... Cost, just, cost of running it? Yeah, well, oh, like yeah, you're true. setting up effectively a separate entity. Yeah. So it could cost a grand or two to set up. You'd likely get a bank account in the name of the trust. You'd get an investment or a brokerage account in the name of the trust. Every year, you'll have to have an accountant do the tax return for the trust like you guys do. And so it is really, you're just setting up an investment vehicle that is separate and likely going to be for someone who has significant wealth. Now, a testamentary trust will just cover that. If you've got a will, you can actually have what they call testamentary trust provisions in the will. So if I had my own kids and I was to check out early, I could say, in the will, please set up a testamentary trust with a million dollars for the benefit of the two kids. Now, the income that comes from that testamentary trust is taxed at 
accepted tax rates as an accepted person, which is the normal adult tax rates. So for financial planning, we used to always really talk to our clients about who had significant wealth to set up a, a will with testamentary trust provisions because it can be a very tax effective way um, to manage your wealth in the event of your death if you've got kids under 18. Yep. And there's also a special disability trust. So if you've got a child with a significant disability, uh, you can look up ATO, special disability trust rules or, or whatnot. Um, that also, that income can also be uh, classified as an accepted person for the income. So it's not at the punitive rate. That's 66% or whatever it is. Yeah, so you get the full 18,200 tax-free threshold. Fascinating. Mm. All right. Far out. Uh, last but not least, investing in experience at number six. Yeah, this is it, guys. Like, what do they say? Live and let loose. Live and let live. I don't know. Like, just live. <laughs> just build wealth and take your kids on holidays. Um, yeah. Do fun stuff with your kids. And uh, this is the area where I can't give advice on how to parent your child or whatever, but you know what's good for your kid. I share when I was growing up. Would I have rather go to Bali or Queensland holidays or had money? I'm glad I did the holidays. Like, mm. sure, it'd be cool if, you know, most parents taught their kids about managing money. And that's why I think this generation of parents who are listening to our podcasts are going to have the conversation to really help educate their kids, like teach kids how to fish. Don't give them fish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is that investing in experiences. And I kind of, as a tongue-in-cheek thing like said in you know my podcast episode about this stuff was like when you are planning on these investing for kids and experiences like delegate it's like hey ren junior can you we're going to go to europe in two years or whatever what's two museums that we should go and look at jump online and so get them involved, involved in the experience yeah yeah, mm. yeah. that's yeah. about as far as i delve into giving parenting advice i'm afraid yeah. fair call yeah. i like it it's a good way to end it yeah i, I, so. I look fondly on uh we would do an annual beach trip as kids that mum and dad would save up for from wagga so there ain't no beaches there no well, well, except for the Murrumbidgee yeah. river <laughs> but um yeah, i think um fond memories i think scott pate bought his kids a couple of sheep each uh, i think <laughs> yeah, he right. tells that story somewhere um and they then learnt like you know, the cost of looking after the sheep and then they could sell it and, you know, all of that stuff. And I think like that kind of stuff, like there's ways to teach your kids the value of a dollar outside of an Here's investment a dollar. account. Yeah. Yeah, One yeah, of the yeah. favourite things that I have about teaching kids about money and having them engaged is to do the matching, particularly for kids in their teens that start working. Matching? So, yeah, so like you might have an amount and you say to the kids, look, I want to teach you how to save money. If you're 17 when we need to buy your first car, if you save five grand, we'll match it with five. Gotcha. So we'll match whatever you save up to an amount. You've seen that be effective, yep. is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Nice. But is you've it... got to put a cap on in case they're really Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. what, if, what if they turn around and go, yeah, I've saved 25. Yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're earning kids' wages. Like they're, yeah. Yeah, but you'd yeah. be surprised. But some kids, yeah, some kids just. Well, just start charging them rent. <laughs> my parents did that as soon as I finished your parents started charging you rent they were teaching me about money as soon as I finished school and then I got a job to save to for like um, to you save can. for gap year yeah. and those sorts of things and I started it was in a sales role started earning some decent coin for an 18 year old I remember they sat me down and go great well you can pay it was crap all for them like it was a hundred bucks a 
month or something. Right. And I, I remember just getting so angry. Yeah. I was like, this is bullshit. I reckon. <laughs> and they're like, deal with it. I reckon what deal I'll with do it. is. And that's why you moved to Canberra. Yeah. Yeah. And then I left. <laughs> I reckon what I would do if I had teenage kids and young adult kids living in my roof, in literally throwing me in the roof, <laughs> living under my roof, I would probably do a, uh, a percentage of income for rent and household expenses. Okay. Yeah. Jeez, you guys are hard asses. <laughs> hey, and I'd probably put it away separately and then Give it back to w- them. when they buy a house. See, that's what I had in the back of my mind. I was like, oh, this is just the thing for mum and dad. They're going to give it back to me at some point. <laughs> they never gave it never back. Gave it back. <laughs> my my takeaway from all of this is like the goals are to build wealth as a family, to teach your kids financial literacy and then to like have the means to set them up for life. And like there's a lot of roots to that goal and like if your high net wealth and tax considerations start to play more of a role, some of these, you know, additional mm. super funds, um, investment bonds start to play more of a role. But for most people in most cases... Most the, of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> the first thing that we, we spoke about, just investing in your own name, building wealth, and then like setting your kids up when you need them um, feels like the simplest one. Yeah, or yeah. we'll do a little account with superficial amounts to train them and teach them about... Yeah. Because yeah. I like with Grace when I sat down, like I was just curious, I'm like, oh, do you know anything about shares? No. I'm like... She's like, how's it work? Well, you know how you like to buy stuff from JB Hi-Fi? Yeah. I'm like, well, you can tell your friends you own some of that. What? Then I, you pull that thread and it's like, okay, well, this is how businesses work. They've got to pay rent. They've got to pay their staff and they charge you for your iPad and they keep a bit of the profit. And then because you own some of that, like you get some of that profit. So yeah, it's been a really good discussion to have. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So Grace obviously hasn't read your book yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bought a Sims book, though. <laughs> she can read Girls okay, Living. Okay, oh, okay, nice, nice. nice. Yeah. We'll put links to both of your books, Glenn. You've got The ca- Career. Yeah, Sort Your Career Out. Sort Your Career Out. Yeah, a bit, yeah. bit early for Grace to start thinking about her career. Yeah. And uh, Sort Your Money Out and Invest. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. And Invest, yeah. Uh, sort Your Money Out. And, and Get Invested. And Get, get invested. invested, yes, yeah. yes. Get Started Investing. Yeah. It's already taken. <laughs> but this is the whole thing. Like, if I could rant to people... There's so many, like we see it all the time, all these people online, like I need to get the best return possible and all this stuff. I'm like, seriously, the best investment you can make is in you and your career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, an extra 10 grand in salary compounded over the next number of years. Like it's just, yeah. You know, risk and reward with investing and then correlating that back to your career. So, for example, we'll just play the mind game now in finishing because it's an investing podcast, sure. right? I have a feeling, have I? I think I shared this when you were on my campfire chat, but I'll share it again. So, if you had $20,000 invested over one year to turn that 20000 into 30000 that's $10,000 extra, that's a 50% return, right? Mm. Yeah. That level of risk that's is not specky. acceptable to yeah, take that's with my your $20,000. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like... That's, that's just dark. investing in the top five tech stocks. Yeah. <laughs> and like technically it needs to be like a 50% after tax. After tax. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I guess it depends. When that we talk about level. Salary, yeah. So to, to grow your investment account, $20,000 to $30,000 in one year, you're at the specy lotto ticket type. You don't want to be in that 
maybe with five or 10% of your portfolio, you don't want to be sitting there. But what you can do if you focus on your career and like I did a whole chapter in the career book on risk taking with your career and work and I did heaps of stuff about negotiation because that's a sport for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If you use the same energy that you're dicking around with trying to get the best brokerage account and all that to actually pay some attention to your work and what you like and building a career you love. As you said, Ren, like if you get a 10 grand pay rise, Mm. that's not only a one year return, but that's an ongoing 10 every year. And to get that return, you're not sitting in nearly in the level of risk that you'd need to take with your money to get that return because it's your career. Yeah. And it's once you really start to think about the best income producing investment you can actually invest in is in your ensuite. It's on your wardrobe. It's the mirror. Like you are it. And if you nail that piece, build a career you love, the money will follow. Mm, in, mm. Instructions Cash unclear. Flow. I just have bought a whole new uh, set of clothes for my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, so anyway, yeah. there's a cool career book if you want to um, update your career. Nice one. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think if people want to invest for their kids, there's plenty of different ways to do it and there's no one perfect way. I think the fact that you're thinking about investing for your kids in and of itself is a sign that like you're on the right track. Mm. That's my concluding thought. Anything yeah. you guys? No, I, I agree. I think it feels like a lot of them are set up for Respectful. tax benefits If yeah, <laughs> if you're in the higher tax bracket. Good on you if you are, but... Yeah, my, my takeaway is, I think, what we said, number one, do it yourself, build wealth for the family. Yeah. And figure it out when they need the cash. Yeah. <laughs> and my thing is, like, as, as much as I wouldn't invest in an informal trust unless you're on a high marginal tax rate yourself, if you are going to do that, make sure your child has a tax file number and the income associated with the designation account is on their tax return and not on yours. Because if it's on yours, who is the beneficial owner? Because I don't own assets that I give away the income to other people's tax returns. Yeah. Like it's as simple as that. And like, and that's the whole thing. It all swings back around when I started this episode with you guys. The concepts are the same. Mm. If you own an asset, the income from that asset falls on the owner's tax return. Mm. If it's in a trust, the trust doesn't pay tax. It flows through to the beneficiary. If it's an informal trust... The trustee being the parent doesn't pay tax, it flows through to the beneficiary, which is the child's tax return. Mm. So I guess I know we were just wrapping up, but I've got to ask, like there would be a lot of people out there who have set up these kids accounts and then go to an accountant every year and the accountant doesn't blink an eye as they factor in that income that you're calling the informal trust income to the parent's tax return. So like, are we saying all these accountants are getting it wrong? Like what's the... Because there would be a lot of people who have heard this and are like... Yeah, all I know is like this 12-page document that I did and turned it into the podcast episodes and the blog and all that stuff, it's very detailed and it's probably the most nuanced thing. And shout out to Courtney and Hannah uh, in the My Millennial Money world who helped me with this. I had all this stuff. I went through with both of them because as I said, I know enough to be dangerous. And we had the Google talk. They were both commenting and... There probably are still some errors in there, little one percenters, because it is so complex and so specific to your circumstances. Back to the accounting thing, I'm not sure. 
all I know is you have to have a tax file number for your minor and you have to declare that income on their tax return and you can't use the money for anything else because you're the trustee for their money. If a trustee like... I'm just going to go buy something. Yeah, like what would happen if I... We could take it one step further. I died, the executor of the will could be seen as the trustee of that money to execute it as per the wishes of the will. They went and bought a car with the money. That's breaching the law. It's an abuse of trustee executor powers, right? So it's complex. And that's why I really, really think 90 to 95% of people don't have this set up right with the designation accounts. And secondly, the product providers, they're just, because they're just like, we don't provide tax advice. Nor should they. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and I don't think their systems are actually set up for their sub accounts to have the TFN added and flow through to the ATO for pre-fill. Not sure, but all I know is the differences between the informal trust and the formal trust, like the concepts are the same. You got a trustee, you got a beneficiary, income flows through to the beneficiary and is declared on their TFN. If the money moves out of the trust, into the individual, there's no beneficial change of ownership, no capital gains tax. Okay. Love it. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, so to close out, the six ways were you can invest in your own name, in an informal trust, in an investment or education bond, in superannuation, in a formal trust, special disability trust, testamentary trust, or in experiences. But Glenn, thank you so much. We'll include links to the blog, also the two episodes that you've done in great detail, one of which was a lot of Q&A from yeah, your community. Yeah, the second hour episode was literally just Q&A. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of questions to come out of this um, and the links to your books. But um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, friends. See Thanks. you soon. And if you're one of my listeners, shut up and get back to work. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.